0: What do you love about the future, if the future does not include being out there among the stars and being multi-planet species? I find that incredibly depressing.
1: The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin.
0: Trying to place the accent. Who are you going for? A Norwegian accent, because I know Elon Musk is a fan.
1: Ah, oh, old musky.
0: Do-da-do-da-do-da. Oh, yeah, baby Musk.
1: Well, thank goodness you included it. I know that there would have been literally <laughs> tens of emails very upset.
0: We had to bring it back.
1: Yeah, big time. Oh, we brought it back. popular demand. Um, Elon Musk, the 15-year-old Twitter user... He's such a character, isn't he? That he's, Elon Musk. Uh, do you know what? It's really weird. When we started this podcast, I was like a massive fanboy, and and now I think he's he's incredibly clever. But I just more and more, I'm just turned off. I'm sorry, Matt. Well, uh, do you know what I should do? Is basically just unfollow him on Twitter, and then just look at look at his work in the space world. That's what I should do.
0: That's it. Well, I think maybe we concentrate too much on people's personalities and not sort of praise the issues. For example, he's done so this week. I mean, let's face it. This week is just absolutely monumental. Very true. For, for, for Elon Musk. Let's he, look at what he's done. Well, yeah. Okay, so August the 2nd on Sunday, as as we uh, predicted, not, not particularly hard, that one, uh, August the 2nd was the return of Bob and Chunky from the International Space Station. Yes. In, of course, the Dragon, which concludes the entire test demo flight, which apparently went insanely smoothly. Insanely smoothly. Everyone was ah. shocked by how smooth it was. That's what she said? Yep, as Jim Bridenstine said, we are entering a new era of spaceflight. And Elon Musk made a speech that actually, every time, every now and then, I watch Elon and he makes a speech and I'm endeared by him again. I know, I, 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 I yeah, I, but. Because I like what he says, I sometimes really like the things that he says, and sometimes I really hate the things that he says. It's not him, Jamie. No, we should just pick up. We should pick on the issues. We should. Musk is just a it's just a man. Just I don't think I don't think we're really
1: picking on him though. I just no. think he's a bell end on Twitter. That's it, full <laughs> stop. But but everything else, fantastic. I think he's thick-skinned yeah. enough to take it as if he'll ever hear me say that sentence. And if you do, well,
0: don't worry about it, Elon. You, you've, you're a very lucky man. <laughs> but Jamie, did you stay up to watch another new era in space flight essentially start? Did you did you stay up and watch it? The I 150 didn't stay up, but I but I sure as Hock
1: saw the uh, the videos next day. Pretty amazing, uh, no?
0: It was absolutely. So exciting stopping up because I'd stopped up the night before, yeah. and of course it didn't happen. Just at the last minute, it all vented off all the fuel. Uh, but uh, this time, it did happen, and it was it was it's just surreal watching it in real time because you can't quite believe that it's working. I mean, this is like a single Raptor engine lifting a massive thirty meter tall stainless steel (laughs) grain silo type building and it's able to gimbal and all that kind of stuff it's it's amazing i think
1: the fact it's Uh, weird isn't it that that your eye and just because it doesn't have (laughs) it just looks so it just looks like it's gonna topple
0: but it doesn't well it's it's it is like sort of balancing a pencil in the palm of your hand, isn't it? And that's yeah. what's happening on the bottom by, by a totally revolutionary engine and design and everything else. The whole thing is, is actually incredible. The fact that he's doing it out in the open, designing it and, and just stainless steel sh- rolls being welded together in a tent out in the... Uh, it's just it's just insane. It's so, so cool. Pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of that yeah <laughs> well he's done you know it, it has to be said he gets up in the morning and he's got to think about solar panels and and cars and rockets and, Bore- NASA and boring and, and and boring yeah and 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 he's and he's got a new baby and he's got yeah. a pop star girl girlfriend stroke wife and yeah it, you've got to admit that that it's still pretty epic however you look at it he, he does some terrible oh, tweets absolutely but absolutely epic yeah we all say stupid things we do yes i've i have you noticed i'm slightly veering back into musk fan mode oh, clearly and, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to anger you anymore matt <laughs> i i am totally with you with how ridiculous his um, tweets just, are it's just but, a bit embarrassing
1: but but that do, but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter
0: yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, Tesla, the person, I think, was probably pretty similar, or Edison, or well, these people. You know, they're, they're flawed, but they push humanity. They push humanity forward. Exactly. And people, we like
1: characters, don't we? You know.
0: No. So a- there we absolutely, go. Jamie. The week belonged to SpaceX for sure. It did. I want to do. I want to do a massive shout out to Jill Norman who has left the BIS this um, month after four Aww. and a half years of sterling service. I love Jill. I, I love Jill. And and I just want to say thank you very much, Jill, for everything that you yes. did for us. It was absolutely vital for the start of the Interplanetary Podcast. Jill Podcaster. was
1: there right at the beginning uh, when we had zero
0: followers, <laughs> about five
1: yep. or ten less than we have now. Um and you know, she just was instrumental, wasn't she, Matt? All of the help when she didn't need to. Letting us no. use the library
0: for interviews, making us drinks, helping us with events. Yeah, the hundredth podcast, Jill, was was vital. She absolutely was. Thank you so much, Jill. You're a legend, please stay in touch. And maybe we'll get you on the show one day when you when you've built your own rocket company. Um It's gotta be done. <laughs> Yeah. I also wanted to, Mark, today is the 61th anniversary of Explorer 6. Oh, wow. 65. Yeah. Now, Ex- Explorer 6 took the first ever photo of Earth from orbit. Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool. 17,000 miles over Mexico. hmm the, 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 the photo, to be fair, is absolute garbage. Oh. <laughs> you, you, I mean, it's monumental. But it's, it's not particularly good. I mean, you know, you'd have to be <laughs> pretty amaze, amazing to be able to sort of pick any detail out from it. Another first was that it was a satellite used as target practice for anti-satellite missiles. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, So Didn't know that. Yeah, there was this air, air, air-launched missile called Bold Orion, which I suppose is a bit like the Virgin Orbit. kind of looks like it anyway. And this is back in... This is back in the early sixties, late fifties, and it was the first ever interception of a satellite. And what it did is it passed about four miles away from Explorer. And you think, well, that's not particularly good. But um if it had got a nuclear uh warhead on board, it would have taken that satellite out. Oh so my uh yeah. So all that technology had started way back then. Uh, but of course, the world was frowning upon space becoming a place of conflict. So the US stopped working on it. Or did they? I mean, I don't know. Dun, dun, dun. And of course, Viking 2 got in orbit around Mars on this very day in 1976. So there's a little bit of history, Jamie. Well, I for one thank you. And of course, this week we did see the last of. The missions to mars for the next two years so all right. the mars missions are on their way to mars so well done the epic mars 2020 perseverance rover and helicopter ingenuity are on their way to mars as we speak oh. as is united arab emirates hope and the chinese Twiwen is, I think that's what it's called. I can't remember. Well, good Um, luck, everyone. All on their way.
1: Matt, when you said helicopter, I got really excited because I I keep forgetting that that's going to be a thing. I know. (laughs) That is, (laughs) to be fair, it's
0: it's going to Mars. What would be really cool is if Perseverance cameras track the helicopter as it's flying around so we actually see it. Yes. Really, I'm very much looking forward to it. I am too, Jamie. Jamie, I've got an excellent guest later on. Well, you better have. Who we got? He's called Alberto Caballero. I, I, I really struggled with his name. Solid name, no. Alberto Caballero. And he has a project called Solar One, which is a paper he's written about an interstellar spacecraft, which I'm is with very, you. very interesting. I ran I ran it past uh, Kelvin. Um, he hadn't seen it, so um, it's uh, I, I I will put a link to the paper itself. Uh, he's asking for people to get involved, so if you're out there and you want to sort of check his paper through, get it peer reviewed, then do so i'm I, I kind of chuck a few questions his way, but I saw a related story, not really that related, but I saw a related story last night while writing the podcast and I thought, well, let's do this. This is quite cool. So it's a paper called Nuclear Fusion Reactions in Deuterated Metals. Am I piquing your interest, Jamie? Well, I tell you what. I was going to say, if there are any single people out
1: there, just put that as your (laughs) your Tinder profile in your bio,
0: and I tell you what. I mean, talk about swipe right. <laughs> so this is a NASA paper. Yeah. Uh lots and lots and lots of people involved on this one. But I picked it up in IEEE Spectrum. Uh Huge. and they broke it down for me, which was lucky break because it down. I was break it down because I was finding it a little bit confusing. So the IEEE Spectrum article was called Spacecraft of the Future Could Be Powered by Lattice Confinement Fusion.
1: I'll explain it to you.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh. Offline, of course. Oh, okay. So right. Uh, well you explained it to me um uh, earlier on and, and I'm now going to give your explanation, Jamie. Yeah, please stop stop me if you if you if you uh, think I've got something wrong. Okay. So um so as we know, Jamie, when you think about nuclear fusion other than the sun, you think about these enormous facilities that are being built in France and America, these enormous tokamaks or or uh, laser facilities Good huge huge mag, yeah just massive magnets massive just, i mean they're huge basically these are huge 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 facilities to try and get the temperatures and pressures that are in the sun so that you can start nuclear fusion obviously that's not particularly useful for a spacecraft no right and there's lots wrong. Well, I mean, you've got your two different types, really. You've got your nuclear fusion and nuclear fission. Fusion obviously fuses things together. And the easiest thing to do to fuse together are things, really light atoms with things like hydrogen yeah, that have got really small nuclei. Whereas nuclear fission, it's much easier to use the massive ones like uranium and push those together. But, of course, we're li- there's a limited supply of uranium. Plus, you have byproducts, and and so nuclear fusion is often considered a lot cleaner, and that's the way we want to go. No kind of byproducts other than helium, which is a which is a bonus rather than a bad thing. Totally, uh, this nuclear fusion in in a lattice confinement seems to be exceedingly lightweight. So all you need is some metal, some hydrogen, and an electron gun. Is that all? That's it nuclear fusion you get energy because as you push two elements together they create a new heavier element in the periodic table but that new element may not be as heavy as the two previous elements so there's a missing mass and of course that mass change has been converted into energy just like is happening in the sun so the sun it powers itself that's right from converting hydrogen into helium and essentially and that missing mass gets turned into energy which which literally is the source of all our energy on earth full stop full with stop the, with the capital air with, with the exception of a bit of nuclear energy that we use so and i just want to get this in arthur eddington was the person that first suggested that hydrogen helium fusion could be the primary source of the sun's energy back Ooh. in 1920. Yes. A hundred years ago. A hundred years ago. So only a hundred years ago. But Arthur Eddington pops up all the time, doesn't he? He really does. Gene, Welcome back, he Arthur. He really does. <laughs> Mr. Eddington. So, <laughs> I, uh, presume. <laughs> I presume. I presume. So the great thing about this, of course, is it's lightweight, which means we can send it into space. Uh, but also... The problem with a lot of nuclear reactors is the amount of radiation that comes off. And True. normally that's that's bad. That's quite bad. You don't want a source of radiation in your space, in your spaceship necessarily. Definitely um, not. But it turns out this one might be easier than you think. So it's not cold fusion, which has pretty much been debunked. It's a low energy fusion, but it still gets very hot. So... This is how it works. So the lattice part is the crystal structure of metal itself. Uh-huh. And th- in this case, they used erbium or titanium. They used yeah. both. And uh, what you do is you get a special type of hydrogen, deuteron, which is one proton and one neutron. Normally, hydrogen—you know a lot of hydrogen is just one proton with an electron whizzing around, but you can have deuteron, one proton, one neutron, and you can confine that in a sort of metal prison in the crystal lattice of the metal so right. what you do is you pu- you pump in this deuteron gas into the metal and and it gets sort of trapped in the crystal lattice it gets really packed tightly together so that you've almost made solid hydrogen in this metal jail uh but as it gets loaded into the metal jail obviously the lattice starts falling apart so the metal becomes a kind of powder in the end um but you've got these deuterons really, really close together. So one proton, one neutron, pairs, all really close together. But they're still not quite close enough to fuse. And right. obviously one of the reasons why that is is because they're both positively charged. So so they really don't want to be pushed together. But you've got them as close as you can get them. Um but they're still pushing apart. They're really pushing apart. So normally the way to push them together is by using absolute brute force, like the brute force of these massive tokamaks or lasers and everything else, where you just basically increase the temperature to ridiculously high temperatures and pressures to force these things together, at which point they get close enough that the that the strong nuclear force can tunnel through this barrier the coulomb barrier as it's called yes. so this coulomb barriers it's imagine pushing two magnets together and and you feel that force repelling them it feels I enjoy like a that, ball yeah. in between that uh, mag- yeah no there's something very very um satisfying about it but it's a sort of similar thing with these two uh, protons that you're trying to push these these atomic nuclei that you're trying to push together they're repelling each other yes but i think to about quantum mechanics jamie is that the nuclei there's a probability that it's in a different place all the time right? right now quantum quantum tunneling basically suggests that there's a probability that the the nuclei is actually the other side of the barrier and that's what's known as tunneling so it kind of tunnels through this barrier by just being statistically likely to be on the other side at any given point. <laughs> you get me? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, but that's the genius about quantum mechanics. But yes, a quantum tunneling, that's what it is. So the the, the the strong force suddenly takes over. Now, at that point, you have fusion because the strong force brings these two atomic, atomic nuclei together to create a bigger nucleus, uh, nucleus but a little bit of energy... Is released, well, a little bit, an enormous amount of energy really is released, and that's what you want. That is what you want. So why is this working? Well, this is working in this lattice because you've got all these deuterons right next to these atomic nuclei, right next to each other, and they uh, and they can be pushed closer and closer. And how they do it, they've got this electron beam yeah. that they shine onto tungsten. The tungsten then releases X rays, which are high energy photons. So these high energy photons are focused into a beam, into this powdery titanium hydrogen mix lattice thing, right? Now, as the photons go in, some of them hit a deuteron nuclei. Okay. And it knocks the neutron off, right? And the neutron goes whizzing around and hits another deuteron and knocks that pair apart and just keeps knocking around. And as you sort of get this, this inside the lattice more and more violent as everything's knocking around and smashing around, i.e. the photons are stirring up all this trouble. Bloody And photons. smashing all the, everything up. Why is it always them? <laughs> and everything's bashing around inside. And then the lattice um, has this extra quality that because of the negatively charged electrons that are part of the lattice itself it kind of shields the positively charged deuterons from each other so they they don't really see that this that they're sort of moving towards this positively charged ball and so it's kind of like a sort of magic trick almost and at the last second they go oh no i'm i'm just about to hit something of the same charge but it's too late and they get smashed together in pops the strong nuclear force, tunnels through, and hey, presto, you have fusion. Pop's your uncle. There we go. So not only have you packed these deuterons really close together, but the lattice itself seems to be helping with this electron field, uh, electron shielding around these deuterons that that increase the chances of them creating fusion. God damn! And and NASA have proved this effect. They've um uh, the, this this team that have written this paper have actually shown that that's what's happening. So you can get this really simple fusion going in just this powder without this massive machinery. So this could be really really exciting. You know, it's small enough to do and and probably cool enough to, that you can power laptops and stuff like that. Sounds like me, small and cool, and I power a laptop. but you've still got the problem of neutrons flying around the problem with neutrons flying around they've got very very high energy and it's very hard to soak them up or or to or to try and stop them because they don't have a charge but there is some uh, evidence in this type of nuclear fusion that uh, often you get helium as a byproduct rather than neutrons, and also and and it can also fuse with the actual lattice itself. So you get this extra bit of energy coming from Oppenheimer-Phillips stripping reactions. Whoa, you went there. You don't want these neutrons escaping because they smash into the machinery, break it, they they rip apart your DNA, they make things radioactive um so it's not it's not great but if they can sort of control that element and that's that's the problem with all nuclear fusion reactors of course um you've you've got to sort of deal with all these neutrons coming off so that's pretty it's pretty cool isn't it i I just thought i'd flag that bit up because i'd not really seen this kind of low heat low energy style fusion and so that's interesting it really
1: is i'm with you. you i mean it's a confusing subject but one that
0: i think we sh- we can all get something from matthew if you've got snooker balls on a table and these ele- these photons that you're Pushing in, I suppose, are just loads of white balls that you you keep hitting around the snooker table, yeah. and you just keep hitting them around. And obviously, the balls are going to start jiggling around and getting very, very, very violent on the on the snooker table until, at some point, two of the balls are going to hit each other so hard that they smash apart, and that's kind of what you want. Obviously, sounds painful. That is a very, very violent. Uh, snooker table right there. I've have you ever seen a snooker ball break? I haven't. No.
1: Although no where well, I say I no. say that. I've I watched um you know that hydraulic press videos where they try to break all these things. I've seen one <laughs> going that. That was quite yeah. satisfying. Oh did it break? Oh yeah. Oh, well, it breaks oh, wow. everything.
0: There you go. So breaking everything, I suppose the sun is a bit like that hydraulic press, as, as it can break anything. The, the huge rubber the ball made of
1: rubber bands was satisfying as well. I'll send you the link after.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does sound yeah. satisfying. I quite, I quite <laughs> like that. But yeah, I mean <clears throat> the analogy stands. You know, that there's a there's a certain pressure that you have to get over to break these things, and obviously on a snooker table it's incredibly difficult. Yeah. Uh, and nor- and normally you would do things like set the room on fire to try and make it <laughs> work and and crush the building, but this literally is is a bit more subtle. It reminds me of the Aesop's fable Jamie about the wind and the sun, where the uh, where there's a man with a coat on, and the wind and the sun have a competition about who can get the man to take his coat off, and the wind blows and blows, and the man holds his coat tighter and tighter and tighter. And then the sun just shines and the man takes his coat off because he's a bit hot. There we go. And it's an Aesop's fable about, you know, sometimes the, you know, the sort of kinder method gets the job done rather than the forceful
1: method. Are you also saying, Matt, is we're better off just not, we're just better off not doing much?
0: No, no, that's not what I'm saying <laughs> at all. <to> <laughs> Damn it. I thought I could have an afternoon off then. No, you, no you've got to work, Jamie. Jamie, you've got to And up- work will make me shine like the sun. I think it will. I think what will happen, Jamie. Okay, I read you. Is, you need to be working to make mankind a multi-planetary species. That's that should well, be I'm your trying. That's that that's according to Musk is the only way you can be getting out of bed in the morning. Yeah, <sighs> yeah that's true. Right. So uh, true. before we move on to the interview, I, I talk- there are other nuclear fusion reactors in the pipeline like the Lock- okay. Lockheed Martin compact fusion reactor that's uh-huh. t- trying to be smaller than these enormous fusion facilities that are being built around the world at vast expense. But it turns out that these things are absolutely massive as well. And one of the problems is to stop the neutrons. So the blanket that, that, that pr- protects the outside world from the neutrons from within, inside this compact fusion reactor. And also yeah. the blanket that reflects the neutrons back in to, to keep the reaction going has to be so thick and heavy that it would weigh about 300 to 1,000 tonnes. So when you say heavy. a compact reactor, it's still very, 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 very big, far too big to launch into space, in fact. Um and at the moment they've they've sort of building test ones that are about two thousand tons, which is similar to the nuclear fission reactors that they have on board submarines and things like that. And you know, and aircraft carriers. So these things are absolutely massive. But I mean, nuclear fission, there are small nuclear fission reactors like Krusty which is crusty is the is the type that you see whenever you see pictures of nuclear reactors on mars and on the moon for mm. for power that's what that is and that is a nuclear a nuclear fission reactor where you've got a bit of uranium in a that's kept in not a, just the clown in the simpsons it's not no 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 named after the clown in the simpsons Absolutely yeah, sure. Uh, but yeah, that, that's where you, where you just keep uranium that's trying to let go of all its neutrons uh, and then the neutrons keep getting reflected back in and it heats up this core and then you can use liquid sodium to power a thermal generator and produce about a kilowatt of energy. And they're only one and a half tons. So that's um, th- that's a very promising. So, But nuclear fusion is where we want to get to. Uh maybe this lattice nuclear fusion is a breakthrough. Who knows? Jamie, do you I wa- think it is.
1: Matt, you know when you uh mentioned uh submarines mm-hmm. just then, my my mind when I hear that word always goes to Europa. I still can't stop thinking about it. The all these years on. Oh
0: a submarine on Europa would little be little submarine yeah, well, swimming
1: under those oceans of ice.
0: Yep. Yeah. Sub, I think a submarine on Titan is is more likely, Jamie. Which you could, could be swimming in the methane equally exciting. Well, you know, uh, you oh. can get to the methane as we've as we've discussed. Getting just getting into the ocean of Europa is going to be incredibly yeah, difficult. Yeah, Musk's going to solve it. Maybe, maybe he's going to solve it. Musk is more concerned about becoming interplanetary at any cost. Uh, not really a science dude. He's not really a science dude. Uh, yeah, he's more true. of an engineer. He's an engineer, not really concerned about Whalians. <laughs> Damn it. Who is? He's concerned about humans and engineering, although he's not concerned well, about the humans all on the way so. to Mars. Uh, Jamie, let, do you want to listen to my interview with uh, good old Alberto? I really want to listen to the interview with Alberto. Let's roll it. Shall we do it? A hey, coup time. The Interplanetary Podcast, putting the ace in back into space so i'm here with alberto caballero welcome to the podcast before we go on you sent me a paper about interstellar spacecraft the solar one can you tell the listeners just a little bit about solar one and then we'll dive in with some with some questions
2: yes well basically solar solar one uh, is uh, a new type of spacecraft uh, interstellar spacecraft that i propose which is, it, 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 I don't, I'm not really uh, proposing uh, a new method of propulsion. I am rather just uh, combining several methods of propulsion that already exist into just one <laughs> unique concept, which uh, it would, it, it integrates uh, uh, laser propulsion. Uh, it also have, um, it also has uh, a nuclear fusion as well, uh, in theory, And uh, also, uh, 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 well, uh, I added uh, a buzzer scoop uh, to the spacecraft, which uh, would actually use electromagnetic fields to collect hydrogen. And would also uh, help help to decelerate the spacecraft. So rather than a new uh, method, a new method, it's rather a, a combination of already of existing methods for interstellar propulsion. That's what that's what is new, in my opinion. That's the that's why why, why I say it's a new type because I combine all of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I noticed that, and I I thought perhaps the 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 most noticeable part of it. I get, I get, is the, is the deceleration phase of it that I hadn't really seen that kind of proposal before. But let's, let's start from, let's start from the beginning. So it's, it's a bit like, it's a bit like the breakthrough Starshot mission in the fact that it's, it, it's initially, it's a, its initial propulsion is is lasers, isn't it? So, uh, but it's designed for human travel, and obviously the the Breakthrough Starshot is a gram, <laughs> a grain of sand, <laughs> being propelled yeah. across the uh, a, a, across the cosmos. So, yeah. So, what are the differences really between having to propel a grain of sand and propel a human capable spacecraft?
2: Yes, well, the, the basic, the, the main difference, I, I would say it's uh, power. We need much more energy to, uh, uh, a much more powerful laser to propel a uh, large uh, spacecraft with humans compared to for the Starshot project. They only need one, well, only, <laughs> it's a, it's a still a lot of power. They need uh, 100 gigawatts uh, for between two and 10 minutes of continuous power to propel uh, each of the spacecrafts up to 20 percent the speed of light so it's not a huge amount of power but it's still quite a lot but for solar one eh, we would need a, actually well there are many possibilities but one of them would be actually to use 26 terawatts terawatt of power which I, I i actually that that number uh, i took that number from robert forward robert forward was a physicist that actually wrote a paper in nineteen eighty four. Uh, uh, suggesting that it could be possible to send a, a huge spacecraft um, uh, with humans inside, uh, the, with a total mass of 8 800 tons, uh, and the spacecraft would be propelled with uh, with light sails and, and also with a laser. And actually, my my proposal is par- partially based on on his previous work uh, on that. And he suggested to actually use lasers to propel a huge light sail. Uh, uh, uh with humans inside so basically uh yes we, you need a lot of power he suggested to use uh 26 terawatt laser uh which is a lot of power uh, and i wanted i wanted to uh, uh, to make my calculations with that with that uh, with that amount of power but uh, basically um yeah, the main the main thing, the main method, the main uh, energy source would be a laser uh, for the propulsion of the of the light sail. But I also suggest the possibility the possibility of using uh, sunlight instead of the laser, because I think that 26 terawatts of power is a lot. I'm not sure if we will be able to actually. Uh, I think it's like uh, I don't know. Uh, well, several ta- several times. Uh, uh, what uh, uh, well there is a DS, there is a laser called DStar. I actually suggest to use this laser to propel the light sail. It's called DStar. It's a new. Uh, it's, a, it, it, it's a proposed laser that uh, it's actual, It is actually intended to destroy asteroids. And in the paper, they also suggest that it could be possible to use the laser to propel uh, light sails but uh, but solar one would need would need a huge array of these lasers even 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 of this level it's uh, the, each of these lasers the star it's actually the power output is 100 gigawatts so you would need like a huge array of those lasers several of them to actually get 26 terawatts of power that's why also i also suggest to use sunlight instead of lasers
0: right so yeah i mean just to put it in perspective because i was trying to think what <laughs> exactly what a terawatt so a terawatt of, of continual power, so at uh, one terawatt all the time, continuous power is. It, uh, I was looking at. What, I wonder what the world's most powerful nuclear fission reactor is at the moment, and and it's a Japanese one at, uh, <laughs> at eight gigawatts. It can do. <laughs> so yep. it's you know it's 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 several orders of magnitude lower than that. You know, so it's it's like even with a massive massive. You know, full-on nuclear power station. You, you, you're, we're still quite a long way off that. It's sometimes hard, isn't it, to think about these, yeah. the, these, the, the sort of power required because it's it's so incredibly huge as, a, as, a, as an amount of, and, and how long how long would you have to be blasting this? Did you say twenty-four twenty-six terawatts of power all the time? How, 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 yeah, exactly. how, how long does how, how long does that last for?
2: Exactly. What for uh, 26 uh, with 26 terawatts of power? I calculated uh, five five years of continue. that's the other the impressive <laughs> the other difficult. We need five years of continuous power. And uh, for the reference, one one terawatt is one thousand gigawatts. So I guess it will be 100 uh, times uh, what uh, Starshot or the Star needs. Uh, well, sorry, 10 times. Mm-hmm. And the power of uh, that they would use 10 times so um, yeah. Uh, so yeah it's it's quite a lot of power during uh, quite a lot of quite a lot of time so uh, and it will be a tremendous yeah it's I think it's the most challenging part of the of the whole thing. Uh, and I think Forward uh, thought the same when he was writing the paper and he suggested 26 terawatts of power. I think he was, well, he was rather thinking, I think he was thinking that maybe, uh, and because, you know, lasers are actually increasing uh, at a huge, uh, at a very rapid pace. It's really uh, the, the amount of of, in, of improvement is going really fast in, in terms of uh, laser power. Uh, but uh, but I, I think he was really optimistic by thinking that maybe it was was going to be, we we were able to reach uh, 26 terawatts uh, uh, this century, maybe I think we were, we are really, we are going, we are being really um, optimistic. Uh, So yeah, that's why I think maybe uh, sunlight would be uh, the best alternative. Your
0: sail is about a a mile, a one mile by one mile sail, (laughs) which is, which is pretty monumental bit of engineering in itself, isn't it really? But that, I can perceive as being like a like a doable, you know. So, but <laughs> the but what but obviously you've got to uh, aim your laser at this craft for five years and and continually be changing its collimation to to, to actually focus it on the on this on this sail. Well, it is how would how would how do you, how are you proposing to do
2: that? Uh, yes. Well, basically, uh, I, I suggest uh, to use um, uh, well. What I, I suggest something strange, which is uh, what is uh, to use uh, mirrors uh, to actually focus the light over interstellar distances. Uh, I think D-star. Well, D-star proposes something similar. The, the, the team behind D-star uh, they also propose propose to use uh, mirrors to actually focus the light uh, over interstellar distances. Actually. Uh, so yes, I suggest something similar, which is to use uh, mirrors, but uh, flexible, flexible mirrors. One, more, one huge mirror, for example, uh, composed of several small mir- mirrors that actually change their orientation. So we actually were actually able to change uh, the beam of the laser, the divergence of the of the laser beam. To actually, come, because of the uh, square inverse law, you know, the, the light is going to um, it's going to uh, the, the intensity is going to decrease over time over over the interstellar distances so what I suggest is to actually change change uh, the orientation of 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 the of the of the of the of the mirror continuously so the beam always it keeps always hitting the light sail uh, uh, over the whole tra- um, the whole uh, trip
0: yeah so i mean we because obviously the the light sail itself is is receiving a heck of a lot of thrust and a lot of energy onto it uh i mean presumably heating is is one thing but do you get the, the one thing i was thinking of is is so, as soon as any part of the the sail becomes deformed that it that it that it becomes deformed even quicker because you've got this kind of extra pressure on the sail um pushing it off in a different direction to the rest of the sail is that is that is that a huge problem because it's only something i kind of was thinking about today <laughs> today as i was thinking god that is a lot of energy hitting hitting a surface so you start to approach all sorts of engineering problems
2: yes exact, exactly i mean a uh, well i made the calculations uh, with a specific uh, material uh, carbon fiber uh, and yeah, with which has a, a maximum uh, amount of uh, of a maximum limit of temp- temperature that it can withstand. So yeah, it, that's crucial. I mean, uh, once you reach that limit, uh, uh, it will it can cause serious damage to the to the light cell. So uh, so basically, the, the power density hitting the light cell is going to be constant all the time. Because the mirror is going to be changing its orientation all the time continuously, so uh, yeah, the, the the main one of the engineering challenges is actually to build a laser with a material which is very light, also very reflective, and also able to withstand such high temperatures as well. So there are many challenges involved in the construction of such a huge light sail. So far, NASA, for example, has built a 40-meter light sail. I think that's the high, the largest. The biggest light sail ever built uh, so far on earth uh, 40 meters so uh so yeah the idea would, would actually be to work in that in that direction to increase the size of the of the light sail and uh, and uh, and yeah of course I mean to 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 try to find uh the best material for for that um, and I think it's a huge huge uh, challenge and also uh, because well one of the components there i would say there are two possibilities to gather light from the sun well it would be of course necessary to to send whether whether we use a mirror or a fresnel lens to gather light i think it would be necessary to send though the, the 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 instrument close to the sun because the closer to the sun the higher the power density we get uh, the more power we we need uh so uh for a a distance kind of close to the sun, to a a distance similar to where the solar parker probe will be the closest distance. I think uh, at that separation, we would only need a six kilometer mirror to actually get 26 terawatts of power. Six kilometer of of diameter, whether you use a Fresnel lens or a mirror to gather sunlight. And I I have been in contact with some some experts uh, on interstellar travel, uh, and, and they uh, actually have, suge- has, uh, have suggested me that using a mirror would be much better. Uh, it, it would be really complicated to actually put a Fresnel lens close to the sun and try to gather light uh, due to well diffraction problems, diffraction difficulties there. But uh, but I think that actually yes, we have we have agreed that sending um, a large mirror close to the sun would be a, could be a possibility. So it would be a combination of one mirror actually gather one six one mirror of six kilometers to gather light and then you would need another mirror at least another mirror uh, to actually focus the light in the light seal Uh, and that secondary mirror would have would have to be flexible to change the orientation over time
0: whenever i think about things like these large mirrors and and things like that in space presumably that that is one dangerous object if you lose control of a of a, (laughs) a mirror that's able to deliver that that intensity of energy.
2: Yeah, no, it would be really difficult to build such a huge mirror. I mean, it's not possible to, be, to build a mirror on Earth because you cannot actually send to a space a six-kilometer mirror. I, well, I think it could be really difficult. So it, I guess it would have to be built on its uh, on its well uh, on, on, on in orbit uh, around the around the Earth. Uh, yeah, maybe you can actually build the several components, several small mirrors. On Earth, and actually send them to the orbit, uh, and uh, build the whole thing on Earth. And another important challenge would be how to send how to send that huge mirror close to the Sun because it's actually a long distance and and it's a lot of weight. I calculated like uh, if we use, for example, the primary mirror of the James Webb Telescope. Uh, if you if, if we scale that up to to, to six kilometers of mirror, uh, we would actually have uh, a a mirror, a mirror of 700 tons, which is a lot of. It's actually close to what uh, Robert Forward suggested for uh, the, the mass of for his spacecraft proposal. So uh, 700 tons, it's a lot of. It's quite a lot of uh, of mass to actually send that to the, close to the sun. So we would need something, uh, some propulsion system, maybe ion ion and dry, uh, engines or ion drive, sorry, or something like that. Something really powerful to actually send that. Close to the sun, it would take quite a time, quite a long time to actually send it close to the sun, and and then uh, yes, of course there would be many challenges as well in, when when it comes to actually uh, pointing. Well, you see, I'm, I mean, maybe you need. I'm not sure if you would need some several of them or just one, because obviously uh, the, the whole um, mirror would actually orbit the sun, and you actually want the, the best uh, efficient. Uh, a, a projection of light in the in the light cell so maybe it would be necessary to build several of them. Uh, so yeah, it's a really huge. It would be probably the most uh, difficult challenge in engineering mm. in the whole history of, <laughs> of humanity. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely.
0: Well, until we get, I think, to the actual. So the spacecraft itself. So we we we've managed to get the spacecraft. Say, if we we build this mirror and we build the or we build the the, the massive huge bank of lasers which presumably are going out to some Lagrange point or on the surface of the moon or something like that um you you you, you've then accelerated your spacecraft up but it's a it's obviously it's it's uh, it's a manned spacecraft so we've now got this super super heavy uh spacecraft and it's hurtling towards (laughs) the a, a, a star system that you've you've pointed it in the direction of uh, and now we've got the, uh, the the terrible thing that we have to slow down after getting up to a third of the speed of light and we've got to slow down. So I thought the interesting part of this one was was yeah that your your proposal of how you slow the the spacecraft down.
2: Yeah yeah, exactly. Um, well uh, basically uh, for example, Forwar suggested to actually use uh, two light seal and and uh, one of them well he also suggested to use a Fresnel lens to focus the light. And, and then when, when the light hits uh, the primary uh, sail, uh, the light goes to the secondary sail, and uh, that's a way to actually uh, slow down the spacecraft. But you need a huge uh, fresnel lens. Uh, so what I suggested is actually a little something a little bit different, which is actually um, to, add, uh, to include a buzzard scoop inside the spacecraft, because you actually need, need uh, a lot of fuel. You need. I calculated like uh, you need like uh, for the nuclear for for the nuclear reactor. You need like five thousand tons of, of nuclear fuel of 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 hydrogen. So it, it's quite a lot of of fuel. So uh, that's why I decided to include a booster scoop inside the space inside the prototype, and uh, and basically the the booster the, the scoop would be collecting hydrogen. No, the booster scoop would only be used in, during the deceleration. Uh, not during the acceleration, because if you use it during the acceleration, uh, the the scoop produces drag, produces drag which actually stops it. It keeps stopping mm-hmm. the spacecraft. So it's actually uh, it would only be turned on uh, during the deceleration. And uh, because it's exactly because I mean the the the, the main disadvantage of the bussard scoop is that it produces drag that it stops the spacecraft, and that's an advantage for Solar One because it would it would only be used during the deceleration so that drag that the, the scoop produces it would be it would actually help to the to decelerate um one and it would actually the main the main the main thing <laughs> that would decelerate the spacecraft yeah and I, yeah i've just got
0: one quick question so when you say switch it on do you mean like uh flower it out or actually switch it on in terms of switch its electronics on where it's acting
2: uh, magnetically which would it Exactly, yeah, the electricity, the, the electricity to create the, the magnetic fields. Uh, yeah, yeah, once you, another possibility could be maybe to actually to move, uh, uh, if it's not possible to turn off the this, this scoop, maybe during the, the whole uh, trip, the scoop would be uh, turned uh, uh, reverse. It would be like facing Earth, so the, there is no drag, cause there no possible drag, because the scoop is facing Earth. But uh, and once you start this uh, deceleration, you move the scoop up to the front uh, to the frontal part of the spacecraft to actually create uh, that drag. But I think it could be possible uh, to actually, yeah, I have been talking with uh, with people and we have agreed on the possibility of of actually turning on the uh, turning on and off the scoop uh, with electricity. Yeah.
0: Okay. So yeah, and so it, it's slowing down, but once. It's not just the scoop, is it, that's slowing down? You've got you've got a laser at the front, also uh, p- providing some form of deceleration. Well,
2: the problem with the laser is that uh, the thrust that it provides it's really really low. It's like it's like so they need it would produce uh, uh, some uh, some uh, negative thrust so to decelerate the this, this spacecraft. But the, the main objective of the of the laser is actually to to ionize hydrogen. Uh, and it's actually—I uh, mean—that was actually, that was actually proposed in several uh, uh, papers on on, on the buzzer scoop. Uh, they, uh, people working on that proposed proposed to use a laser to ionize the hydrogen, so you are able to capture uh, the protons much 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 better. You need actually a a, really, a much smaller scoop to to gather that those those protons so that would be the main thing to actually reduce the the, the the main thing the main objective of the laser is to reduce the 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 size of the of the scoop and and to better able to to gather uh, the protons to gather the field needed to for 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 the nuclear for the well, for the nuclear fusion for the nuclear reactor to work
0: yeah so <laughs> you've got you've got the uh, you've got this buzzard you've got the buzzard scoop and the and the laser so to power the laser you've got another one of these a terawatt um, nuclear fusion on board so that's the bit that that's the bit that i'm find, finding a little bit terrifying is that th- this thing presumably weighs a lot like we said <laughs> it's 8 eight thousand megawatts for a, a, for the most powerful nuclear i know it's a different technology but nuclear fission you know the the, the most powerful sort of power plant on earth is is orders of magnitude away from the, the power required just for this for this laser and presumably this laser is going to be running for how many years twenty years or something or
2: well no the, for the la- for the laser it would only be five years five yeah, years five okay. years for the acceleration uh then the cru- cruise speed and then another five years which is a lot of time of course <laughs> yeah. five years for uh, for yeah 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 so so yeah you've got this huge because
0: I was looking at and, and, and in the paper it's in the paper, you've got this Lockheed Martin um, style one that was, I can't remember, it's 200 tons for a 200 megawatt. So, yeah. so yeah. We, know, we know that this is going to be hugely massive as a, as a thing. And, and, and then, yes, you've got the fuel, but you're saying most of the fuel that you require for this nuclear fusion is coming via the, the, the scoop at the front? Is that right? Or would you still yeah. need to carry
2: a whole bunch of fuel? No, 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 no fuel needed. You would only actually gather the the field well, for my proposal of course yeah. i mean there there are some proposals that actually propose to to uh, to have some fuel on board and uh, to create reactions with the with with the fuel coming from the space. There are many possibilities, but in my proposal, I only suggest to use the the field coming from being collected from space and actually not not the, the uh, as soon as you gather the field. Uh, the fuel would be actually used for the nuclear. In, uh, so the, the idea would be not to actually gather fuel on board because that would increase the, 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 the weight of the whole spacecraft. So the idea is as soon as you get the fuel, you actually, <laughs> you actually use it for, for in the nuclear engine. And, and yet, of course, I mean, with, with, the, with the, well, as, as you know, the, this uh, nu- compact nuclear fusion reactor Of course, we are not able to create nuclear fusion, yet efficient, in in an efficient way. Uh, Well, the other day, there were some good news from from France. They are actually starting to to build this huge uh, nuclear fusion um, uh, station but of course uh, um, compact i mean compact fusion reactors is a whole different thing it's much more complicated you need to build everything much more smaller <laughs> uh, and uh, so yeah exactly as you mentioned a locked, locked heated martin has been talking about 200 tons for uh, i think 200 tons for 200 megawatts so still that would be i mean that's the the goal they have the the objective and still, it's we would need a much more uh, efficient uh, for thing for solar one. So, uh, so, so well, the the, the 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 person behind the the well the, the this compact fusion uh, reactor uh, uh, was actually patented by uh, Salvatore Pais, who is uh, I'm sure you are aware of him. He's an engineer. And, uh, and uh, the U.S. Navy, I think, it's really interested in, in his concept. He actually uh, bought the, the patent, and in fact, the patent is actually assigned to the U.S. Navy right now. So I think the U.S. Navy right now it's kind of working on this thing. I think they are pretty much interested. I, th- I think it's a good thing for us that they are interested. Mm. They, I guess, they they want the technology for the submarines. Uh, the submarines they are now working with fission, fission and they, they want it, it would be a huge. Difference when they get a fusion reactors for the submarines, so um, so I think they are really interested in the patent, and right now it's actually science fiction, uh, but uh, but I think it could be possible. They are working on it. I think the whole thing is secret because they are not at least when you search okay. for that in the in the internet, you at least me I, I wasn't able to find much information, and I guess that it has to be secret because after all. Uh, they are. It's the U.S. Navy, Navy working on, on their on technology for their submarines. So <laughs> I think it's normal that we don't find information. And Salvatore Pais was. He was. He was. I mean, he didn't include. I think he didn't mention any mass for in in, the, in his work in his paper. Uh, he did, he wasn't. He didn't. Uh, he did not uh, suggest any specific mass. He did, he just said uh, compact fusion reactors. Uh, so yeah, we can be talking about 200 tons. Uh, we can be talking about 20 tons. It's we are not sure because uh, the designer of the of the prototype of the idea of that compact fusion reactor, he d- didn't mention. Okay, my proposal is going. My my design it would, would weight a specific amount of mass. He didn't say anything. I I think I didn't find any any number for that. So uh, we are actually kind of blind. We we don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean I did notice one of the criticisms about that type of compact nuclear fusion was that a lot of the sort of nuclear fusion scientists are saying actually bigger is better that the sort of larger you go you get the it, it's much easier to contain the plasma and all these kind of things and you get you get almost if you double the size of your reactor you get four times the energy. So it seems that 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 maybe making it compact in the first place might be causing more problems than you than <laughs> like going that, like it, it, it's much better to get a, a bigger reactor and make it smaller rather than a small reactor and make it bigger. If you see what I mean, that, that that that's the kind of impression I got that some people were sort of. That was the objection that I saw some people making about those those smaller, the the smaller nuclear fusion reactors. But I mean, it's it's again, it's it, it, it's 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 the amount of energy required. You know, like five years of terawatts. <laughs> It's, exactly, exactly. it's 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 phenomenal isn't it it's i mean what i love about papers like this is you start to realize just what an enormous problem interstellar travel is that you start to put the numbers together and they just seem utterly incredible but i suppose if we were sitting here 500 years ago we might be saying the same thing about you know uh, going to the moon or or, or yeah. even just aircraft travel around the, around the globe so it's, exactly. it's, it's it's an interesting conversation isn't it is what for you what what kind of timelines would you have on 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 a on a craft like this when would you expect anyone to be able to even contemplate building it
2: well uh, some uh, expectations well some um, suggestions were about uh, the, well about nuclear fusion some people some experts were saying that maybe 20 35. By 2035, we could have we could have the first spacecraft powered with uh, nuclear fusion, entirely powered with. 2035. Uh, well, that number has been recently actually been changed, updated to something a little bit later, maybe 2050. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh,
0: so well, I, mean, I guess it's- it is a recurring joke, isn't it, with nuclear fusion that it's always 20 years away. I mean, <laughs> exactly.
2: Exactly, that's true. I mean, it's true. been but 20 well, years
0: away all my life. Just. To- <laughs> No, <laughs> but annoyingly, you know, I remember being in the playground, going, "Well, we'll have nuclear fusion in twenty years. So by the time I'm twenty-eight, yeah. it'll be fine."
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. What what I, I find promising is the the, the nuclear uh, um, the nuclear station that is being built. It's being built in France. I think it's that is highly promising. I think hmm. once they are or once they start working on that, uh, building the whole thing, I think. It, at some point, we will be able to actually produce, um, I'm, I'm optimistic, and I think that we will be able to produce nuclear fusion efficiently this century. But uh, when it comes to compact fusion reactors, I have no idea. Uh, maybe maybe this century, maybe next century, maybe there is a breakthrough by, by someone uh, whose work is based on Salvatore Pais. Um, I guess that you never know, I mean, what can happen in the future. Uh, of course, we, we need several breakthroughs, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but well, the thing, the good thing about Salvatore is that, uh, in my opinion, is that usually nuclear um, uh, fusion uh, reactors use uh, superconducting magnets to actually uh, for the for the pro- for the containment, and uh, and I think Salvatore Pais uses uh, a, a small conical dynamic fusers, so that's why he suggested that the, his prototype could be actually smaller than the typical large. Uh, so I guess I think he suggests to you to produce the same amount of energy but with but with much less weight you do the different communication uh, sorry the different configure configuration of the of the magnets. so uh well in, well rather than magnets he uses he proposed to use uh a conical dynamic fuser. so so that's why i think uh, his pro- his proposal a, a little bit uh, optimistic a little bit well optimistic but i think to a certain degree because i i think uh, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, I, the U.S. Navy has bought the bandit. so I guess it's not really a, a stupid proposal. I think uh, they have find they have found uh, uh, the proposal kind of interesting. So I guess that the, the many people right now is working on this thing. Uh, but uh, but of course uh, we need several breakthroughs. And uh, and yeah. But my 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 idea with solar one is to try to try to propose something that would use uh the resources of the solar system as much as we can of course we need a high level of technology to do that but i think it would allow us to save a lot of energy because if we use sunlight instead of lasers we're actually i think it's uh, it's it, despite all the engineering uh, challenges involved i think it, it could be easier for us to actually use sunlight instead of lasers and for the nuclear fuel uh, as well in my opinion i think it would be easier easier to actually gather the fuel on board uh, while the spacecraft is traveling, rather than actually having the, 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 taking the, 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 the fuel on board, which uh, would actually increase the, the, the mass of the spacecraft uh, quite a lot, in the, in, the, in, the, in the order of thousands of tons. So I think that it would be ideal to actually try to use some of the resources of the solar system. for so, and, and the other thing is that, for example, n- nuclear fusion has been proposed for interstellar travel many times. I mean, to build a, a, a Daedalus and Icarus interstellar um, spacecrafts that you would use uh, just nuclear fusion to actually uh, uh, travel to the stars. Uh, but the thing is that they they would need, uh, because they only need, use nuclear fusion, the amount of fuel that they need is actually tremendous. I think Icarus uh, would need thousands of tons of fuel to actually propel the spacecraft. And, and the same for antimatter. You can actually build a uh, 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 an antimatter spacecraft, but again, you would need a, a huge amount of uh, amounts of, of antimatter uh, to actually propel to that spacecraft uh, to not relativistic speeds, but 20-30% uh, the speed of light. So that's why I think that Solar One would would ne- would need less amount of energy because you would actually need, I mean, because it combines several methods of propulsion. So. You don't need that amount of energy of, of 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 fuel. Well, actually, no fuel because you collect the fuel, and you don't need really antimatter uh, because, uh, again, I mean antimatter. There is a spacecraft uh, that actually it's proposed by I don't remember the person, but he suggests to use a, to have a huge laser on board, and that laser would actually break break space, and, and it would collect antimatter actually. Uh, but you you need a petawatt laser. You need a, a laser which is actually much more powerful than the one that Solar One would need. Uh, and that would be much more weight, much more, it would be much more difficult. So you would need several petawatts maybe in the petawatt order. And uh, so, yeah, there are many proposals, but yeah, what I wanted to do with Solar One is actually to suggest something that actually requires energy, but less than the other uh, uh, the the other the other proposals uh, that are separated, individual. They're just, just fusion, just antimatter, yeah, I
0: mean, well, that's the other thing I find fascinating as well with with, with interstellar travel is that you've got this, uh, what I love is the, is the weight equation where you've got, you know it's going to take, say, 20, 30 years to get there. We're going to invest billions and billions and billions in, into an interstellar craft, you know. I mean, you're talking about an incredible engineering feat only to be halfway through building it when someone says, oh, there's a much easier way of doing this, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think that the, the the crucial thing in this whole thing is that the, the military is interested. I think that once the military, military is interested, I think the military is is working a lot on laser, on laser directed energy weapons. Uh, the more to create a powerful lasers with little weight uh, to actually uh, be incorporated to their to their uh, to their um, planes or different aircrafts. Uh, so I think the military is working on lasers. I think the military is working on nuclear fusion, compact compact nuclear fusion reactors. Uh, the only thing is that they are not working on light sails because that's not. I don't see the application of light sails in the military. <laughs> uh, but uh, but they are working on. So I think that the more the, the more interested the military is on these things, the more money are they are going to put and the the, the further research we're going we're going to make. So I think it's a good thing. Uh, to actually think to actually have the military working on these things for destruction rather than travel but then we will we may take advantage of that of those discoveries to actually use it for for travel
0: what's your plan next with the uh, with with this design and and where can people go and have a look and and have a look for themselves and what what, what, what what's the next steps for you
2: well, right now the paper. Well, uh, the paper. I, I'm thinking about. I, I'm going to send the paper for publication, and there is, there are a couple of of important journals interested in actually its publication. So, um, yeah, I I will send it for publication this month, next month. Uh, so I think, yeah, once once the paper has been a uh, peer reviewed, uh, so I think it might have a much more acceptance by the community or much more um, feedback. uh, Because right now with archive, what I wanted to do is actually put the paper so I can actually see what the general community thinks about it. uh, About it, uh, so uh, to actually ask for feedback. Uh, So uh, so yeah, and I have been talking with some experts on interstellar travel, and we have been exchanging views. And uh, and yeah, in the final paper, in the final version, I will actually change some things. I will add. I will talk a little little bit more about uh, how to use the mirror to actually gather light uh, from the sun uh, so yeah there will be some small t- changes in the final in the final version and uh, yeah i mean the, the paper is available now right now in archive so everybody can actually uh, i have made a video i have a small youtube channel and i have made a video about uh, solar one so everybody is able to actually read, read the paper watch my my, my video uh, comments below uh, ask for uh, tell me some improvements in their opinion and, and some of them Maybe I mean I read uh, all the suggestions and sometimes if I find something interesting, I can actually incorporate it to the paper uh, after I do, I do the proper research.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Well, thanks very much for uh, talking about it.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I hope that some people becomes interested because that's one of the things why I do it. For, yeah. for the people. I wanted to actually read back, to make uh, the the forward Robert forward proposal to come alive again. And actually, I want people to actually work on this. I mean, to try to improve, um, to, to try to, to improve. Uh, there are many people working on Breakthrough, Starshot, right now. Uh, and I think it's quite related. We, we, Solar One could use some of the technology that the Starshot project could use. So I think, uh, yeah, it could be great that more people work on this. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. The Interplanetary Podcast is... Alive.
0: There we go Jamie. Lots to think about there. I, I it's it's very very much in its sort of first baby steps his paper. That was wicked. Thank you Alberto. Uh Matt if people want to know more where can they go? Well if they go to www.interplanetary.org.uk they will find all the notes to all the shows including lots of links and pretty pictures and it will tell you everything you need to know. I'll put in some Now Matt we've been having Dozens
1: of uh, people contact us asking, is it true, can you get an interplanetary podcast face mask? So not only do you make the environment around you safe and yourself, but you look well cool.
0: You can indeed order yourself an interplanetary podcast face mask. I've sent some out to some of the patrons, um, the ones that I was being very tardy with with their T-shirts. Uh, uh, you can get mugs as well, Jamie and clocks and posters. Whoa. Um, I, I, I think I might have a bit of a refresh of designs. George is starting to come up with some wicked, wicked design. So, well, uh, Matt, I'm just some... throwing
1: it out there. Uh, maybe we should ask the listeners. Do yeah. you have an interplanetary podcast design? Send it in. It might oh. make its way
0: onto a mug. If you do send it in and we'll give you all the profits from the sales from those items. um, there we go. You heard it here first. Absolutely. Matt, can we take that back? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Guys, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course.
0: Uh, so, yes. And, of course, you can go and support us at Patreon. That's where we want the support, at Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash interplanetary. And th- we've had lots of lovely new members. Thank you very much. Next week, we'll be reading out the glorious patrons of gloriousness. Thank you very much. Always humbled. That is glory. And actually, yes, uh, uh, the Discord channel, lots and lots and lots of articles flying in this week that I've just simply not had time to read again. Uh, I will deal with them. There's some amazing stuff. It's so cool being on uh, on the Discord, reading what proper space fans think about stuff. Good people, good times. So, Jamie, shall we wrap this one up? Let's wrap it up. By the way, Matt, before
1: we go, did you see the moon last night? It was absolutely glorious orange hue down in the south.
0: Hmm. I don't think it. I don't think I had the same thing, but I did have a beautiful full moon rising above Ilfracombe town over the hill opposite my kitchen, and it was absolutely splendid. I, that is so like you
1: to have a full moon rising.
0: Yeah, I was. Really yeah. was. It really was yeah. beautiful moment.
1: Alright, well, have a good weekend, everybody, and we'll speak to you next
0: week. Bye bye, Spruckers!
1: Matt, nah, take your pills.